morning. Hey, we are super glad you're here with us at First Christian Church uh, for worship. My name's Scott. I'm pastor here at First Christian. I um, want to encourage you to turn to First John, the first chapter. We're going to start off with preaching today. We have been doing it the other way, but we're flipping the flip-flop. If that makes sense to you, great. If not, which is 90% of you, don't worry about it. We can explain it later. If you need a Bible, we've got some folks coming down the aisles who can help you out. We need Bibles in how we do worship and our time together in the Word. So First John, the first chapter is where we're going to be headed today. We'll allude to um, in passing and, and show a couple other verses as well. Uh, John 1, if you want to look that up. We're going to be also looking up John, the first chapter, John 1 and First John 1. Got somebody who needs a Bible over here. This is week one of a new series we're starting today called Prove It, which is seven weeks in the New Testament book of First John. Uh, it's all about how God's people are proof of God's presence, how God's people are proof of God's presence. Uh, it's going to be a really good series. I want to encourage you to read through First John uh, maybe once a week as preparation for Sunday mornings. Uh, it takes about 20 minutes. There are five chapters Uh, I want you to um, practice this habit that we talk about of praying and studying your Bible. Uh, That's part of how God makes us into who he's called us to be, practicing those habits together. Hey, two things I want to point out uh, before we jump into some prayer and uh, our time in the Word uh, today. We are not doing Sunday Fun Day Construction Done Day. Um, that we were planning on doing today uh, because of the rain. Uh, We have rescheduled that to the first possible day we can do it, which is Sunday, May 21st. Uh, So if you don't know what Sunday Fun Day Construction Done Day is, sort of like the flip-flop, don't worry about it. Come back next week. In the coming weeks, we'll tell you a little bit more about what that is, and uh, we want you to join us there on Sunday, May 21st. Last thing to talk about before we... Getting into some time of reading and prayer and uh, studying the scriptures together. Uh, at FCC, we try to be laser focused on our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Um, it's emblazoned on our literature. It's on a banner as you walked in. It's on something that's in the hub. Uh, helping people find and follow Jesus is who we are. It's what we do. This is the environment we're trying to create um, around us. That's our, our guiding light. And, and part of that is being laser focused on how we do that with the next generation. So if you're a high schooler, a college student, uh, 20-ish something, uh, a young adult who hates labels like millennial or I generation or generation Y or Z or hashtag generation, whatever that is, uh, if that's you, uh, or maybe you're an educator, you work with uh, young adults uh, from like senior in high school on up, Uh, Maybe you just plain care about how we as a congregation reach the next generation. Uh, Then you are invited to a roundtable brainstorming session um, that is uh, informally called How to Reach This Guy. I don't know. That's not an official name. Um, But we're going to be doing that on Thursday, May 11th. Uh, That's different than we talked about last week. There is an award ceremony at the high school, I believe. So we're going to try to avoid that. Um, Thursday, May 11th, 6 p.m., there is free food Um, And and what we mean by free food is we're going to be serving gluten-free quinoa burgers um, with kale chips and uh, handcrafted ginger ale. Uh, Not really. Uh, What we want to do actually is ask all of our old people, which in this case is 35 and up, um, to help us put together a potluck uh, for this meeting. Um, So if you're interested in that, um, we would love to have your name and um, have you 
text your first and last name to uh, ihonk for millennials at fccgreenville.org. Um, and just let us know that you plan on coming. Um, actually, quite honestly, you could put Scott is dumb at fccgreenville.org, and that will get to us. So pick whatever you want on that first part. Um, but we do want to have your, your actual first and last name for what it's worth. Um, none of this Beardy McBeardman stuff. Um, so really, on Thursday, May 11th, we would love to have you come be a part of this conversation, especially if you're a high school senior uh, on up through 20-ish something. Um, we have about 15 to 20 so far who are signed up, and uh, we're going to have a, a big crew of folks. We're going down to the student center downstairs um, to have that conversation. So we'd love to have you join us uh, for that. We just want to look for how we continue to reach um, the next generation. Let's read scripture together, if you would, please. Uh, we're going to be doing that in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And then we'll pray and get into our time of the word together. It says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Lord, we ask that in our time together today, that you would use your word. That we would be humbled under its authority. And that it would use our time together to call us today. To embody your presence. We ask that you would use our time together in the scriptures in ways that feed us and in ways that instruct us, in ways that teach us who we are and what you've called us to. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The theologians say, words create worlds. Words create worlds. They say that because of places, especially like Genesis 1, at the very beginning of the scriptures where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says this, darkness was over the face of of the deep. Meaning into that situation of the deep waters, the watery chaos without purpose, out of that situation, God was hovering because the next part says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then here's what happens. This is why they say words create worlds. Genesis 1-3 says, as the Word of God was spoken, and God said, let there be light. And the world is created. So what we're saying here is that words have incredible power. 
Scripture says that they can heal or that they can hurt. I recently heard somebody say that when we speak to our kids, what we say becomes their inner voices. Friends, words hold incredible power. They hold incredible power. Let's talk about one word in particular. The word with. The word with is a very powerful word. With is what we call a preposition. It's a preposition. We're going to go to grammar school for here just a bit. Uh, freshman English. With is a preposition, which means that it's a bridging word. It's a bridging word that expresses the relationship between two words or phrases or clauses or ideas, okay? It's a tipping point kind of word, this word with. Because when you add the word with between two words or concepts, it changes the relationship between those concepts. We say he's with me. She's with child. Play with us. When you add the word with, a bond is created. The relationship is described between this part and this part. With is a powerful world, a powerful word, and it connects things together. It connects people together. For example, we all know that the best way to talk about proving one's love is not just to say it, but it's to show it in a way that is with a person. It is not too strong to say that with can be a personal demonstration of the reality of something. For example, when you like someone of the opposite gender, you want to be with them. <laughs> you, you hang out together, you eat together, you go to ice cream together, eventually you may hold hands, and that's it. Uh, you, you might also study together or study together, right? And then she tells you that you're going to get married to her and be with her um, all the time. That's kind of how it works. Which isn't exactly how it happened for us, but close enough. So when you take vows in marriage, for example, to have and to hold for richer and poorer in sickness and in health, it's a vow to be fully with that person. With is a very powerful word, which is why when we Christians say, when we say that in Jesus, God is with us, we are proclaiming unbelievable truth. Unbelievable until you're with God. It's amazing truth that, that John wants us to see is something we can hold and touch and hear from. Meaning God with us in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, means that we can have a relationship, God with us. As a fancy theological term that we use to express this, the word is incarnation, which is a Latin word. Uh, incarnation, it means uh, in flesh, in the flesh. Incarnation means in the flesh. And no, it doesn't mean flowers <laughs> or something like that. It means in the flesh. It means God comes down to be with us. 
He descends to be on our level for the purpose of us having relationship, fellowship. Think about that for just a second before we jump into 1 John here. God, who created the entire universe, perfect, holy, infinite God of the entire universe, God from whom comes all truth, this is the God who comes down to be with us. That is a crazy concept. And, and this truth, the truth of God with us, is what the Apostle John is so sort of taken by in John. Uh, the first John, uh, first verse here. He's so taken by and sort of amazed by this truth of God's incarnation in Jesus in the first verses of First John 1. Which is why uh, he, he sort of can't get the words out fast enough. Let's read this together again, and then we'll jump back in at verse 1. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, it was made known, and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. There's that with word. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, all four of these verses are one long sentence in the Greek, the original language in which John was writing. This is all one big long sentence. And it can be a little confusing throughout First John because he'll say this thing, and then he'll sort of tangentially, parenthetically say this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. And they'll say this thing again and this thing and this thing and this thing. And so there's sort of this circular kind of thing that goes on a bit here um, in these first four verses. So let's take a little bit of the time, starting in verse 1. He says this. We're just going to focus on this first phrase at first. That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Which, think about it, is a bit of a weird way to start, right? That which was from the beginning. Wait, what was from the beginning? Well, well that. That which was from the beginning. What is that? Well, well, that which was from the beginning is that. It's a little bit like that Abbott and Costello who's on first kind of thing, you know? Like... What's from the beginning? Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. That kind of thing. Kind of feels like that a little bit. But John was very deliberately using this phrase, a pretty power-packed Bible phrase here, at the beginning of 1 John 1. He uses this, this phrase, from the beginning. He uses this phrase, from the beginning, as a way of alluding back to the Gospel of John. And so he says... This in John 1, 1, we'll put this on screen for you here. Here in 1 John, he's alluding back to John 1, where it says, this was also written by the Apostle John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can see that phrase at the beginning, in the beginning, and then he refers to this Word idea, which he also does in 1 John in two places. We're not going to focus on that too much there, but we'll focus on it here in John one, the reason John uses in the beginning here in the Gospel of John is because he's referring back to Genesis 1.1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, so if you're a, a Jew and you hear these words 
in the beginning or from the beginning, whether it's in 1 John or John 1, it's going to ring your ears back to Genesis where it says in the beginning. There are even quite a few other places in Scripture um, where their ears would perk up to this phrase in the beginning or from the beginning or just the beginning, and it would remind them of the story of creation in Genesis 1. So both here in 1 John and in the Gospel of John, where John says, in the beginning, he's referring to this idea of in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So why does he use this word, (laughs) Word? A little bit of Greek uh, philosophy class here for, for just a minute. We're going pretty theological today because 1 John does. The Greek philosophers of the day understood this word, this word, word, which is actually logos, L-O-G-O-S. This was the impersonal, I am personal, meaning not personal, an impersonal principle of reason, capital R, reason, that gave order to the entire universe. The Greek philosophers believed that the Logos was in charge of all that was. And so this word, the Logos, was the impersonal principle of reason that ordered the whole world. So the Greeks of the day, you'd say, like, who created the world? They'd say, the Logos. Who made the seas and the skies? They would say, the Logos. Who will win the World Series? They would say, the Logos. The whole, everything was the Logos. So this non-Jewish secular thought, this Greek thought of the day, was that everything was kind of held together by this principle of the logos. And it's key to remember, this is an impersonal, a not personal principle of reason. So even non-Jews would hear Genesis 1 referred to in John 1 and in 1 John 1, and their ears would perk up too. Because they would think, oh, yeah, that's what John's trying to say. In the beginning was the Logos. But what John's really trying to say is much more than that. Much more than that. Because what John's trying to say is, listen, (laughs) you can't have a relationship. You can't have fellowship with an idea. What I'm here to tell you, John says, is in the person of Jesus, you have fellowship relationship with the God who made everything, which is a huge, radically different idea than the thinking of the time. In fact, John, John says, listen, I'm an authoritative witness to this. Not only am I, but those who have been around me are. I can prove it to you. Jump in at First John, the first verse. It says this, jumping back to First John. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, meaning I saw him with my own eyes. I perceived him for who he really is. I have touched, uh, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And notice here that John says, it wasn't just me, it was, it was others. He uses the, the first person plural, we, ours, or us. He uses one of those 13 times in four verses. He's saying, this isn't just me. There were others who saw this, who saw God with us made flesh. Keep reading verse 2. The life, meaning the true life, the eternal life was made manifest, meaning it was made known to us from beyond us. And we have seen it. 
and we testify to it and proclaim to you. We testify to this truth and we proclaim this to you that, that God with us, he says, is eternal life. Eternal life which was with, there's that word, with the Father and made manifest to us. So just think about what John is saying here. He is saying, because this is, this is radical stuff, that which is divine and eternal, that the God who created the entire universe, that eternal has materialized. Perfect, holy, eternal spirit of God has become flesh. This is one of the most radical things you could even conceive of happening. And here's the crazy thing about this. We all know. We all know. We have a sense when we're in our finer moments of admitting reality and who we really are. We all know that divinity, that Godhood is beyond us. Like it's out there. It's different. It's other than us. And holy in, in, in a sort of way that we can't get to. But John is here saying, let me underscore the importance of God becoming material flesh and form. Because, listen, I heard Jesus. I heard him speak. I, I have seen him. I have, I have touched him. Friends, this is sort of uh, the foundation of the gospel. This is the gospel before the gospel to say that it's good news that divinity has become reality, that God Almighty has become in the flesh for us. The gospel take other forms, of course, in the New Testament, but this is like foundational gospel before gospel, the good news that Almighty Creator God has chosen to make Himself available to us, to be with us. This is, this is what Christians are called to proclaim, John says here, with our lives. This truth that God is with us and that our lives can communicate that radical truth. Think about, think about that as an identity for who we are. That when people are with us, we have an opportunity to communicate that same fellowship we have with the Father. That's what he's saying. Keep reading. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, this is a summary statement, repeats the kind of things he said before, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Also to you, just as God has to us. This is the missionary impulse of all who have experienced the Father's love. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Meaning without him, without Jesus, dying for us, our sin breaks the fellowship. But with him, with Jesus' death for us, we have fellowship with God. So because we have fellowship with God, John says, come along with us and, and share in that experience of being with God in right relationship and fellowship. He says that in the next part here. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, because to have fellowship with one is to have fellowship with the other. And here's why he writes this, verse 4. This is helpful for us. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
At least ten times in John's writings, he talks about this idea of the, the fullness or completion of joy. So what's he talking about here when he says it in verse 4, where he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John's referring back to a time in the Gospel of John where Jesus was teaching his disciples. And he said this in John 15:11. We'll put it on screen for you. This is what Jesus said as he was teaching the disciples in John 15:11. Says, "These things I have spoken to you, Jesus speaking to the disciples, that my joy, the joy he has in perfect fellowship with the Father, may be in you, and that your joy may be full." This was spoken to them right before Jesus goes to the cross to complete his earthly mission. Uh, and he was sending them on their mission. And he knows, he knows that joy shared is better than joy kept. Joy kept to one's self is nice and all. But let's be frank about joy kept to self. It's kind of limited in what it does. In its effect on us. And its effect on others. Which is to say that the fullness of joy is something that is shared. Because if you have fellowship with God, if you have right relationship with God, by which you know that you share an eternal life, then sharing that eternal life with others is where the joy comes from. If fellowship with God in Jesus brings joy, how much joy is there in keeping it to oneself? Some, sure, but less and when it is shared. If I have two Oreos, and you're in the room watching me eat both of them, hashtag winning. No. If we have two Oreos, and you're watching me eat both of them, who's experiencing the joy? <laughs> when you experience something that makes you happy, that blesses you, uh, that brings you great pleasure, and enjoyment, if you tell someone else, that joy spreads and they share it with you. And that makes for greater joy for us. That's what fullness of joy is. That's when joy is complete. When it is shared, powerful word, with another. When we are with others, as God is with us, it is not too strong to say that relationship is an opportunity to share eternal life in a way that matches what has happened for us in Jesus. That's what, that's what John's communicating for us. Now let's cut to the chase. <laughs> The world doesn't really care if the Christian faith is intellectually valid. At some level, some people do, of course. Uh, we all should, for sure. Because if it's not, forget it. But the world doesn't really care if the Christian faith is intellectually valid. Atheists, agnostics, skeptics, uh, non-believers, they don't ultimately care if the claims of Jesus are tenable or even sort of reasonable or philosophically coherent. And most don't actually even care if the Christian claims are true. What they really care about, the evidence that they truly seek, is seeing the Christian faith demonstrated as valid in our lives. That's the proof people need. 
Because, friends, you cannot have fellowship with an idea. But you can have fellowship with a person. Our lives can be, amazing as it sounds, our lives can be proof of God with us. You see, everybody's life is communicating something. Our love for others can communicate the love relationship we enjoy with God. When we, when we share that love, it's the proof of being loved by God. Our lives can be the proof of God's presence in us in a way that shares eternal life. The Scriptures teach that God intends for us to live that revolutionary presence of God in a way that people see as proof of God with us. It is not too strong to say, friends, that when the Spirit of God makes us new, we have an opportunity to be the proof of God's presence. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is our privilege to come before you today and to acknowledge in our hearts and out loud that you have come to be with us in a way that makes us new. We're grateful to you, Lord, for Jesus. And we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage the audacity to believe you for a life that is proof of your presence. Lord, teach us what this means as we give ourselves to you in word and deed, as we seek a relationship with you in the prayers we pray, the songs that we sing, the word that we read. Lord, use, use these elements in our lives. Use the fellowship of other believers. Use our time in worship today to continue to instruct us and to teach us and to form us, to shape us into people who are further proof of your presence. We ask for this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.